0: hey everyone
1: i'm matt lieb and i'm vince mancini and you are listening to pod yourself a gun which is a sopranos podcast where we go through every episode of the sopranos one by one
2: and we watch it uh starting from episode one yeah to episode last which is exactly how you watch a tv you show
1: know, that's the normal way all chronological like <laughs> yeah we, uh, now a lot of you are wondering, uh, why anyone would start a Sopranos podcast now. Um, well, the first reason is I don't think podcast technology was invented, uh, when Sopranos That's started. That's very true, yeah. And, uh, also, it's it's kind of Vince and my
2: favorite show. And you had to you had to talk into a cup attached to a string and just hope someone was at the other end. Right, that, that was what a podcast the original
1: podcasting. It was either that or you were on the radio, and there was too much swearing in The Sopranos for the radio. So now that it's you know 2019, uh, we decided uh, why not? You know, I've I've rewatched Sopranos multiple times, and every time I rewatch it, I learned something new, and so we decided you know. Maybe you could something learn something new with us. Yeah, maybe you could.
2: You know, hey, hey,
1: whatever, forget about <laughs> it. You know.
2: <laughs> and for our uh, inaugural guest, we have Alan Sepinwall, who uh, wrote a book called "The Soprano Sessions" that uh, just came out. It did. Yeah, uh, it came out two days before the
3: twentieth anniversary. Perfect. Nice.
2: Uh, So wait, should we play the theme song? Oh yeah. So we have
1: a theme song uh, that uh, I created on a free audio program called Audacity. And so yeah, let's do it. Let's play. Pod. 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 Oh boy. Podcast. <laughs> Podcast. Pod.
3: Pod. So that's the theme. Uh, <laughs> that's the
2: theme song, guys. Is, is it too late for me to back out? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it is too late. Uh,
1: you are already on. We're pressed, recording everything. Um, so yeah, that's the theme song. You know, here is the thing. I I am no uh, music producer. You know,
2: no, it was great. I think it was great. So, Alan, I feel like your area of expertise is probably knowing uh, a little bit about like production and development. Uh, like, what did you? What do you? What did you learn about? You know how how The Sopranos originally came about.
3: Well, I mean. Uh... It's amazing. It originally just started as the idea that David Chase would tell stories about his mother and how they didn't get along and everyone would always laugh. And finally, his wife, Denise, said, you should make a show about that. Oh. Uh, and, you know, it sort of merged with the idea that uh, Paramount wanted him to do Godfather, the TV show, oh. which he rightly thought would be a terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> good call on his part. My God. But he- Yeah, but he combined that with, you know, the mother idea and realized, like, a screenwriter with a difficult mother, who's going to want to watch that? A mob boss with a difficult mother, that could be kind of interesting, but it still went through a lot of evolutions. Originally, his idea was from something much more in the comedy vein, like, he called it a live-action Simpsons, and that was when he was seriously considering Steve Van Zandt to play Tony. Uh (laughs) And and then Jim Gandolfini walked in, and everything changed for the better. Steve
2: Steve Van Zandt, who plays Silvio, correct? Yes. Yeah. He
3: was one of the two runners up to play Tony, him and Michael Raspoli, who wound up playing Jackie Aprile Sr. Oh.
2: Is, is Steve Van Zandt uh, Italian at all? Yes.
1: Okay. Because
2: he feels Italian. Yeah, his name doesn't oh, sound he's, Italian. He's quite, he's quite Italian. Yeah. So, which is an interesting thing about this show to me. Because well first of all like rewatching I hadn't rewatched it since it came out. I watched it all of it when it came out and I haven't rewatched it since. Really? Yeah, and rewatching the uh the first episode, I expected it to feel dated somehow or uh-huh. to not be as good as I remembered.
1: N- no, the show holds up. And it absolutely
2: holds up. It's and, crazy. And another thing about this show that I really enjoy is like, I don't know, maybe this is overly earnest, but like I'm an Italian person, my, or at least, you know, my dad's Italian. Yeah, a Mancini. A Mancini. You're
1: literally, an, your name is the name of the bastard son of Sonny uh, Corleone.
2: Yeah, in, uh, yeah, Andy Garcia played me in Godfather Part 3, exactly. which they rip on in the first episode of The Sopranos. The best of all the Godfather films, yeah, really. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, I sort of, and I grew up, like, in Central California in the Central Valley, and I never, other than my name and the fact that, you know, we, like, ate Italian food, I never felt, like, particularly Italian, Uh and, uh, like, my Italian grandparents, my grandfather died when I was, like, five, and my grandmother died when I was, like, I don't know, 12, like, 13, Uh somewhere around there, Yeah, and so, uh, like, I never felt particularly uh, Italian, like, I didn't really, Mm -hmm. um, I didn't, identify with all the stereotypes sure. uh, of like east coast Italians, right
1: you didn't have a big bushy mustache
3: <laughs> right. you weren't yeah. a plumber yeah i didn't, you didn't wear have a brother a... named luigi i didn't wear
2: a speedo and a big medallion and grab my crotch all the time sure, sure i mean sure. I, you know i swam so i did little wear a known speedo. fact
3: my cousin played luigi on the captain lou albano uh super mario brothers power hour oh, wow. wow nice yeah but so... so even though we're jewish we're kind of italian too
2: yeah same thing um, well, all Jews are kind of Italian and vice versa, I think. Yeah. Um, yes. So, but then watching the show, just the way that Tony interacts with his mom uh-huh. is like my dad and grandmother to a T. Yeah. And so it's like watching this weird, like half remembered echo of my family that I didn't sure. really know in a weird way. And yeah. it's, uh, and, 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 and like, it, I don't know, it, it, it made me realize like, oh yeah, I guess, I guess we do share some things, uh, yeah. you know, at that level anyway. Um, well, I have a
1: question uh, about about David Chase's uh, experience like making The Sopranos uh, in terms of the fact that, you know, Analyze This came out like three months after Sopranos came out, which means did. That, well, they were in production at the same time.
3: Did he know Analyze This was going to come out? Was this- I don't think – I don't think that Matt zeller and I, who, who wrote the book with me, ever directly asked him that. But there were, I do remember at the time when we were covering the show for The Star-Ledger, which was Tony's newspaper. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of, like, just everyone was conflating the two and assuming that, like, this was going to be some dumb, goofy comedy. Mm-hmm. And at least the movie had De Niro and Billy Crystal and who the hell was this Gandolfini guy and all of that. Yeah. And it really wasn't until college, the fifth episode, which you guys are going to get to in a bit, mm-hmm. that it re- people really fully understood, oh, this is something different. This is something really serious and probably great.
1: Right? Yeah. No. I mean, it's clearly, I mean, miles a- a away from actually being Analyze This, but sometimes if you think about it, like, <laughs> what would happen if instead of Sopranos coming out January 1999, Analyze This came out January 1999, and Sopranos came out in March 1999? Yeah. Maybe we'd be sitting here talking about Analyze This.
2: You ever think of <laughs> sure. the, sure. the The funny, funny thing is that?
3: Chase. Chase didn't want to make a TV show. He wanted to make a movie. He wanted to get out of the TV business. Oh. And his dream casting was De Niro for Tony and Anne Bancroft <laughs> for Olivia. Wow. And he just couldn't get it off the ground. And then when he made the pilot, he didn't want HBO to pick it up and, because he didn't want to do a TV show. And he hoped he could just scrounge enough money to film another hour and take it to Cannes. Nah. Yeah. Wow. So, I, I, think, I think things worked out a little better.
2: Right. Yeah. And the fact, So he used... Like, unknown actors, but not entirely unknown actors. Like, I think I had seen uh, Gandolfini in 8mm. I think I've remembered him licking uh, licking Nick Cage's gun in 8mm because he plays, like, the weird yeah. pornographer who beats the prostitute de- sure, to death or sure, whatever. Sure. Um, so, like, I sort of remembered him. And then, of course, Lorraine Bracco was... Uh, you know, Karen in Goodfellas. Right, right, right. So like we sorta of knew him, but not really. But every which is w- kinda of like the perfect amount of well knownness for a TV show, I think.
1: Right. But also then you've got Edie Falco, who I think was a complete unknown at the time. I mean, she was uh on Broadway with something. Uh she she had been on
3: Oz for a few seasons. Oh, so that's, she had that's what HBO it was. She, she
1: was on Oz, yeah. And uh we had uh Michael Imperioli, who I was another one. had Had he done anything? Yeah,
2: he's Spider from Goodfellas. Oh right. Yeah.
1: There was a lot of like.
2: I thought you said I was alright, Spider.
1: Yeah, Goodfellas and, and The Sopranos. They they had a lot of uh, casting. Uh, yeah. Tie-ins. also
2: known as like every mob movie yeah, or I guess TV so. show, like tends to. Well- reuse the same actors there's only 15 italian actors
3: in hollywood everyone yeah, knows like that.
2: if if there was no mob movies like frank vincent would not have a career
3: <laughs> well frank vincent came in to read for uncle jr and basically one of the reasons he didn't get the part was chase worried there were too many people from goodfellas in the show already
2: yeah oh, man. for sure so okay so let's talk about the episode itself so the first thing that you see if you would never watched sopranos before is that theme sequence yeah, and uh, yeah. B- of all the things that hold up <laughs> about The Sopranos, that intro song is by far like the most uh, laughable anachronism. I think. Oh, definitely. That is that might
1: be not only the worst theme song in in television history, but maybe one of the worst songs ever written. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. it's weird because it- the show is amazing in how it holds up, but that song. It took me a while to kind of like see it from a different perspective where it wasn't the Sopranos theme song. It was just a song that someone listened to. Someone played it in a car one time while I was driving. And I was like, this is terrible. Turn this off
2: immediately. It comes from that era of – I don't know if you remember the Howard Stern movie Private Parts, which I think came out like maybe a couple years before this. Uh And he had like the Chemical Brothers that did uh, like a theme song for (laughs) that movie. Uh uh, it was like I'm a I'm a tortured man or I'm a something man. Do yeah, you remember
3: I, that, Alan? Uh not exactly. Okay, <laughs> it, but when, you, when I hear Chemical Brothers these days, I think of the DJ Twins from Baskets. Yeah, which yeah. Is a very deep cut.
2: Yeah, yes it is. Or the underground <laughs> rave from the the Second Matrix. Was that them too? <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> yeah. The, the the intro music to um uh what do you call it uh, Fight Club? Yeah. That, Ke- that was yep. Chemical yeah, Brothers. Yeah, I think
2: so. Yep. I don't know, but I can't tell the difference between them and the Dust Brothers. Oh, that might be Dust Brothers. I have, I have no idea. But there anyway. was a lot
1: of brother DJs in the '90s, and you know they had a lot of boom boom music. <laughs> but I tell you, this song is is just terrible. It's just super super bad all the way through. The lyrics make no sense. It, it doesn't even really fit with the the theme of the show in any way, which is which yeah. is kind of interesting. It's like the song is just way off. It's the only Mama thing...
2: said you were the chosen one, yeah. so you got yourself a gun. Yeah. I don't know.
1: Born under uh, born under a bad sign. Yeah, with the blue moon in your
2: eyes. Yeah, blue moon. Yeah, what?
1: I don't. I'm not sure. You saw
2: me shooting alone.
1: So other than (laughs) uh, other than the fact that it is a terrible theme song, uh, the the actual what they shoot in the in the opening sequence is interesting because it's uh, if you've ever been uh across uh to the new jersey turnpike all the way to where does he live west orange or something like that north caldwell north caldwell that's right uh then my dad who was born in newark and then moved to uh west orange later uh he would watch the intro and he would be like i know all these places Uh was he also born under a bad sign I mean, you know,
2: he's uh he's he's a libertarian if that's what you're going <laughs> Okay, say. sure. Um so then the the actual structure of the show itself, it starts in the uh the psychiatrist's office and it's very much uh structured like Portnoy's Complaint uh by Philip Roth, uh, you know, where the whole the whole structure of it is it starts it's sort of and fra- the framing device right. is Tony's visit to the psychiatrist. Right. yeah,
1: and everything is everything is run through that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, I mean, you're introduced to everything in the show. It's the pilot. right. Uh, the first thing I noticed is uh, and uh, Alan, tell me if you notice this too. Uh, but do you notice that in terms of Tony's character in terms of his voice in the pilot, He's just, it's just a little bit, he's figuring it out in the pilot episode.
3: No, for sure. And I mean, he's also, he's a lot skinnier than he is in the series. You know, um, Robert Eiler played AJ is like, you know, 12 years old and looks like he's eight. Yeah. There's a a different father, Phil. Silvio isn't part of the crew yet when he shows up at the pork store. Right. They're all surprised to see him. Hey, what are you doing here? Exactly, it's like Tony and Artie Bucco haven't seen each other in years. When in every other episode, they're like cl- the best friends who yeah. hang out all the time. There's a lot of things that they were still tweaking at that point.
1: Yeah, you know, I feel worse—the worse for the person who played uh, Father uh, Intentola because uh, what 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 happened? Why why did they recast him? Was he
3: recast? Did he quit? I think they just wanted it. You know, he's only in the one scene. He's only got a couple lines in the pilot, and they realized it was going to be a bigger deal. And Paul Schultz, who played Father Phil for the rest of the run, had gone to college with Edie and had done like a whole bunch of acting with her over the years. They had really strong chemistry. Yeah. Uh, And so, you know, out went uh, I I think Michael Santoro is his name. Yeah. In came Paul Schultz. They they recast a few roles. There's a different. uh, Big pussy's wife is different in the first season. Right. Silvio's wife is different, and a couple of others. They re- the weirdest is they recast the FBI agent, you know, who deals with Adriana, and then they reshot all the footage with her. So you can't actually see Feruza Balk in the role anymore.
2: Oh wow, Feruza Balk.
3: Wait, wait,
1: wait. Feruza Balk was was which one? The Danielle, the one who
2: produced... Yes. Who what? if you don't if you don't know who she is, she is the the one uh, she, with an interesting face. She was in uh, The Craft. She's the in The
1: Craft. She's the she's the evil witch from The Craft. She was in uh Waterboy. Yeah, she's she, the, she the played weird Adam Sandler's mm-hmm. girlfriend. Uh, that and she what else has she been in? Those are the two main ones that I remember. Man, but she
2: was huge for Oh, wasn't those. she was also in American History React. She
1: was. She played a Nazi in American History React. So wait, That is, I mean, I know we're skipping ahead many, many episodes. I'm
3: derailing the very first episode of your podcast. Listen, this is
1: this is a podcast not just for people who have seen or who haven't seen The Sopranos. This is specifically for people who have seen it and love it. And I mean, you really have to be someone who loves The Sopranos to listen to Sopranos podcast that started in 2019. So
2: no, you don't have to like you don't have to like The Sopranos. You don't have to like TV. You don't have to know about this (laughs) podcast. Is for anyone, for (laughs) everyone. For your grandmother. This is for very her kids. broad.
1: This is if you love Jesus, if yeah. you love Muhammad, just <laughs> anyone can love this podcast. Right. But uh, so wait, what happened with Farouza
3: Balk? Why? What? Why did they recast her? Was she terrible? What, did did I, give me the. Tea. I don't know. There's Matt. Matt. Matt and I did like eight long depth interviews with David Chase for this book uh-huh. and there's like and he answered a lot of stuff including he talked about the ending much more than we expected him to yeah. but there's a handful of things that I had on my list like I want to know about this I want to know about that and he would not spill and one of them was why he recast Fruzabalk. Wow. another one was why Feech Lamana went back to prison so soon mm-hmm. and there was one or two others where he just clammed up um so we yeah. will never know
2: Man, that's... she might have been uh, too Balky for this role. That's true.
3: That's true. She is. She is someone who's very Faruza Balk.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. She only. But plays... at least
3: the original Father Phil you can still see when you watch the pilot, where all footage of Faruza Balk has been destroyed. That
1: is right. so crazy. It was was there? Uh, yeah, man. I mean, was there a body double? Did, did, so the actress who played Danielle uh, yes. was never. Merola She was never actually in the room, or did they reshoot those? They reshot those scenes?
3: I think they just reshot, there's like, she's only in a couple of scenes yeah. in the season three finale, and it, and I think in a lot of cases, she was the only person in the shot, so it wasn't very difficult for them to do it.
1: Wow. Well, R.I.P. Fruisable. <laughs> <laughs> So, back to the pilot episode, um, I think, uh, well, number one, you mentioned Fat AJ, um,
2: and I gotta say, cutest AJ of the series. <laughs> I mean, immediately, he's sort of like the most openly scumbaggy character, and I was surprised <laughs> at how how early on they sort of established him as, as a scumbag. Like, yeah. the very first shot of him, you don't see his face, you just see his uh, eight ball cap, He's wearing a backward cap with the an, an eight, eight ball. ball on yeah, it, you know? yeah,
1: which was super popular for skater kids in the nineties. Yeah, this this show has a lot of like. It brings me back to the nineties, yeah. but it's like it it just transcends it in this mm-hmm. way too. It's amazing. It's right. like uh, it really is the bridge between the nineties and where we are now. Right. So, know?
2: so Tony is in Doctor Melfi's office and. He explains that he's there because he had a panic attack Mm -hmm. and they wanted him to see. They established that he didn't seek out going to a shrink uh, on his own. It was something that was sort of ordered by a doctor.
1: Yeah, his next door neighbor, Dr. Kuzumano.
2: Yeah, and so there's a series of flashbacks, and the first one, (laughs) which (laughs) it's Tony uh out at his house just like looking at his pool and he's wearing a bathrobe and like boxer shorts and a necklace Mm -hmm. which is very italian sure Uh, sure sure sure. and he and the ducks come and they land in his pool and there's this there's a subplot about ducks and that's like a running thread throughout the sopranos is that tony has this weird obsession with uh animals yeah and encounters with animals right sure and so he's very excited about the ducks, and he's calling his kids over to see the ducks. And immediately, it's like this funny dichotomy. It reminded me of uh, Al Madrigal. Uh, who's a stand-up comedian had like a bit about cholos in nature mm-hmm. which was kind of the same thing it's like guidos guidos in nature yeah, and yeah. uh yeah it was very it's, very good
1: yeah th- it definitely follows the kind of like it's the same thing with uh the coen brothers where they're just like you know put people with funny accent in interesting situations <laughs> yeah uh you know guidos saying anything that's not mafioso <laughs> like uh, related yeah. is very funny hey, look at these
4: ducks over here yeah right yeah hey I'm
1: about to eat some fucking kale like you know like anything like that um so one of the segments that we will eventually have on this show once we have bumpers and shit like that Mm -hmm, and listeners mm -hmm. um is going to be called bada b stories and this is where this is where i uh think we can all uh, just say what our favorite B story or kind of like something that's a, per- a peripheral thing that later becomes a thing in The Sopranos. Right. My personal favorite uh, is the introduction of uh, Pussy Malenga, who is a character who you will never uh, see much of, I mean, at all beyond this episode. Mm-hmm. But... Spoiler alert! If you've never watched The Sopranos, um, he is the reason in Uncle Junior's head that he sh- that he shoots Tony. He thinks he's shooting Pussy Malenga. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you remember that? Because the
2: plot is the plot in this one is that uh, is oh that yeah. Junior wants is is trying to whack Pussy Malenga. right? And he's going to do it in Artie Bucco's restaurant. Right. And Tony doesn't want him to do it there. Because it'll ruin his business. Yeah, to he's a, being a good friend.
1: Yeah, so his, his so his solution eventually is uh, first he tries to get him tickets so he can leave town so the restaurant will close and I have to choose a new place to kill Pussy Malenga. But he decides not to because his wife doesn't doesn't want him to take tickets from a mobster even though they later be, are just best friends
2: uh after this episode um so instead he burns down Vesuvio. Yeah. which i think is very uh much a theme in goodfellas also where like being friends with uh mafia guys it means is, burning down your restaurant <laughs> it's like it's the greatest thing that happened to you and also the worst thing that happened to you happens to you
1: yeah that's the relationship i think with
2: mafiosos
1: yeah. that's that's how it is like
2: tony's trying to do him a solid Mm -hmm. And at first, it means getting him tickets uh, to go on a cruise. Mm -hmm. But eventually, it means burning down his restaurant. Sure,
1: sure. And uh, yeah, so but later in the series, uh, what ends up happening is uh, as Uncle Junior slowly losing his mind, uh, he ends up uh, shooting Tony Soprano. Thinking he is Pussy Malanga, right? And I thought that was a that that's a great nugget for uh, anyone who uh, you know uh, watches The Sopranos over and over every few years.
2: Uh huh. And so my favorite B story, if you can call it a B story, sure, is uh, of course Tony is trying to get his mother to come to AJ's birthday party. Sure. And so the first scene where we meet Livia, who's Tony's mom, is uh, is he's trying to get her to come. And here I have a clip of that, so I'll play that.
1: Yeah. Say It's me, Ma.
4: Who are you? Ma, well, open the door. The answer, that? Yeah, it's me. <laughs> open the door. Did you lock the door after you? Yeah, I did. You know, somebody called here last night after Jock. Oh. <laughs> you think I'd answer? It was Jock, out.
2: <laughs> which again reminded me so much of my grandma for, for some reason just like the way that yeah like old italian people have these weird rules about things <laughs> that are very confusing and make no sense for anyone else
1: yeah yeah i mean it, definitely it's an old italian thing it's an old person thing in general mm-hmm. then again I, maybe I'm you just... gotta
2: have the respect but what respect actually means yeah. uh is oh you can't call after dark
1: <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Um, And that's when we're first introduced to Olivia Soprano, right? That is the first scene. That's the first scene, yeah. Which is, it's just an amazing scene for a pilot episode. I mean, it's just, uh, it really is, I mean, I don't know how much David Chase had preconceived of uh, the entire relationship between uh, Tony and his mother. I know it's based on him and his mother, which by the way, does that mean that David Chase, his mother tried to kill him? No,
4: no, it's ex-
1: <laughs> it's exaggerated at least a little bit guys. <laughs> sure, sure. But yeah, it's uh it's amazing to me that uh they uh, you know, the, the it it just shows the entire arc of this character in and and this relationship in one scene.
2: And what do you know about the casting of that particular actress? Cuz like to, at this point, like she is only Tony Soprano's mom to me.
3: Yeah. Well, she was – after Lorraine Bracco, she was probably the most famous person in the original cast because she had played Lou Grant's boss on Lou Grant for years, uh, Mrs. Pinchon. She was the sort of hoity-toity rich lady who owned a newspaper. And what was amazing was Nancy was sick when she got – she died after the second season, and they knew she was sick when they hired her. And and I asked David – and I don't know that he knew she would die that soon, but I asked him specifically, like, obviously she was great and that's one of the best performances in the run of the show. But if you'd known then what you know now that you would only have two years of her and that you would be too sick to really do a lot in the second of those two years, would you have gone with someone else? He's like, there was nobody else. Every other person they brought in was just not good. And she came in and she was his mother.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And so again, like she's so perfect. And part of that I definitely think is, you know, like you can tell she's a little bit infirm uh, Mm -hmm. in that, um and then the entire plot where they're trying to get her to come to AJ's birthday party it's not necessarily because they like her like she's kind of a pill and the the entire family kind of thinks uh that she's a pain in the ass and uh she's she's done this thing where after Tony's dad has died she's like oh he was a saint yeah and he's like you didn't like him that much when he was alive yeah 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 yeah.
1: whittled him down he was he was a squealing down to a little nub yeah Yeah.
2: he was a squealing little gerbil when he died. yeah (laughs) and so just the plot where they, they they want to keep her around because of her cooking like that reminded me of my grandma and then that culminates (laughs) <laughs> uh, and AJ finding out that she's not going to come and, to his birthday party. And summing party. it up in the perfect way. Yeah, and I, uh, I have a clip of that, which I think was my favorite clip of the whole show. Okay. So what? No fucking ZD now. Hey. All he wants is ZD. Yeah. I I, lo-
1: I love AJ as little fat kid who's who like dips his uh, like what is it? He dips things in milk like a whole croissant or like a, a donut. He's a little slob. He's
2: a mini Tony. He's a mini little. He's Tony. like a mini scumbag Tony. Yeah, it's
1: it's. Adorable just watching and watching him grow up in, in the series, but yeah. he kind of, you know, he changes from the physical appearance of Tony to the mental appearance of Tony in yeah. a way. Um, but yeah, that, uh, that is pretty perfect. Um, you also, you also get to see, uh, in, in terms of back to Liv and, and Tony, um, the entire conversation that they have, we have a clip of, of the, uh, retirement community right yes it's the second yeah let's let's play a little cd player
4: for who for me (laughs) i don't want it
1: (laughs) mine needs something to occupy your mind when dad died, you're gonna do all kinds of things oh
3: he was a saint
1: yeah i know he was but he's
4: gone you're gonna travel you're, you're gonna get a volunteer job you've done nothing stop telling me how to live my life you just shut up I just worry about you. And you That's don't a- start with a nursing home business again. It's
1: not a nursing home. How many times do I gotta say this? It's a retirement community. You're an active senior, your own age. You go places. You do You're things.
4: Old, I've seen these women in these nursing homes, in these wheelchairs, battling like idiots. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. So that was uh, yeah, and also her relationship to technology, where. The son tries to do a nice thing for her, and she's like, "Oh, a CD player? It's, Never."
1: It's not. It's not even just the relationship to technolog- in technology. It's the relationship to anyone doing anything out of kindness <laughs> right. uh, is immediately <laughs> and and she might want the thing, mm-hmm. she might want it, but she just she she gets off on like denying people mm-hmm. their you know their pleasantries, and it just it's it's such a dark character trait. But it's so fucking fun. Yeah, and
2: she's very, uh, she's always complimentary about people when they're not in the room.
1: Yeah, right, right, right. I mean, she has a whole, I mean, uh, yeah, she has an entirely different personality depending on who she's talking to as well. I mean, it, she has an entirely different view of the person, which is, uh, which is just emotional abuse, really. Yes. Yeah, it's not really a, a fun thing. Uh, but you know, watching Tony kind of like being whittled down by his mother, uh, you know, throughout that entire scene, you just see where he gets all of his anxiety, mm-hmm.
2: where they hector each other to death uh-huh, a, a uh-huh. little bit. Yeah.
1: Because you, you think it's going to be like, oh, what is a mobster, you know, uh, what is he worried about? Well, getting killed, you know, uh, his business going wrong. But most of his anxiety seems to come from the fact that his mother just does not love
2: him. Right. Um, and then see, so, do you want to go to our next segment?
1: Oh, are we talking about dreams? Sure. All right. This segment is, is called Only in, <laughs> Only in Dreams. Yeah, very good. <laughs> you know, Alan, we cr- we're crushed,
2: working we crushed that bumper. We're
1: working on the bumpers. This is uh, you know, we're gonna work some kinks out for sure, but that was a great bumper. Great, yeah. great
3: bumper. So my so my impulse to maybe wait until the podcast was a little more polished. Maybe that was the right one. I'm thinking.
1: No,
2: no, no, no.
1: This is <laughs> it. Only gets it only gets worse from here. Yeah. Right now we up. got
2: beginner's luck. Yeah, yeah. You have to factor that in.
1: And everything is actually just working out really well. Mm-hmm. Um, Excellent. So, this is now the segment where we talk about one of the many dreams. Every episode, well, not every episode, but there's a lot of dream sequences. I feel like uh, the way David Chase did dream sequences in this show basically every other you know TV show has tried to copy yes the the entire which is
2: funny because it was not that great in this show and
1: I thought it was perfect people rightly tried to talk about (laughs) it (laughs) <laughs> every every dream sequence I thought was amazing It was I, I mean That's my personal
2: opinion What didn't you like about him? Um, so I like it at the beginning When he's just talking about his dream Sure, sure, sure Which we have a clip of that by the way Okay I had a dream last night
1: My belly button was a Phillips head screw <laughs> And I'm working on screwing it And when I get it unscrewed My penis falls off <laughs> <clears throat> You know, I pick it up, I'm holding it, I'm running around, (laughs) looking for the guy who used to work on my Lincoln when I drove Lincoln so he can put it back on. And, you know, I'm holding it up and this bird swoops down,
3: grabs it in its beak and flies off with it.
0: What kind of bird? I
4: don't know, seagull or something.
0: A water bird?
4: I saw the birds last week on cable. You think maybe that planted the idea?
1: (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So I,
2: bird I, flies off with his dick.
1: And and it's funny because, it, you know, that is him just describing his dream sequence. And then you've got later in the series some of the best dream sequences, I think, on television ever and has been copied by every prestige television show ever since. Um, and to me, uh, what I enjoy about it is these are – I don't know about you. I don't know what kind of dreams either of you guys have, but these are almost – to the T, exactly the type of dreams that I have. Most of my dreams involve either my penis falling off, teeth falling out, me going back to high school and being yelled at by a teacher. These are these these are the dreams I have, and occasionally a big mouth billy bass talking <laughs> talking at me for reasons I cannot get into at this particular moment. But um, yeah, I I thought the dream sequences were perfect, Alan. And, and did you ask Dave uh, David Chase about the dream su- sequences and and uh, if if he had, you know, if any of them were based off the way he particularly dreams, did he envision it in certain ways, or did he just kind of create the style on his own?
3: I don't think we necessarily talked about whether they were similar to his dreams, although he we, we did discuss his version of the of the test dream at one point when oh. we were talking about the test dream. And yeah. in fact, Matt and I were also sharing our versions of it. So that's if you want to get very autobiographical and self indulgent, that, that part of the book's pretty good there. The te- um, when
1: you say the test dream, that's a episode.
2: Okay. Yeah,
3: that's the episode from season five. Yeah. Uh, you know where he's he's in the plaza. Mm-hmm. And it's like a twenty minute long dream dream sequence about Tony Blondetto. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but it's also it's a famous anxiety dream where like you're preparing. You know, you have a, you have a test in school and you haven't studied. Ah, yes. got it. Yes. That's what the name comes from. Um, but no, he didn't talk specifically about whether they were informed by his so much as just he liked the style of it. You know, he'd grown up on a lot of like. You know, artsy-fartsy, as I think he put it at one point, you Mm -hmm. know, French and European cinema of the 1960s. He loved watching movies like that. And um, he also just wanted to be a lot more abstract than television was. And he wanted the dreams to feel like dreams. But he also had to put enough in there so that the viewers could come out with some kind of interpretation of it. So sometimes they're a little more literal than an actual dream would be just because it's there for the sake of drama.
1: Right, right, right. I mean – the the one thing that I enjoyed about most of the dream sequences was usually the sound design of it. Uh, that there was a, uh, something he would do with a lot of chewing sounds and a lot of things where you weren't sure it was a dream until you you started getting these kind of like these uh, auditory cues, and then eventually you would get the visual cues because you would have crazy shit happen, like bullets turning into uh, into chocolate in his hands. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, listen, I've, most of the dreams that I have uh, are things that involve me having anxiety or, uh, or a dinosaur chasing me. Now, he didn't have too many dinosaurs chasing him in, in uh, The Sopranos, which I think is a bummer because uh, number one, it would have been good CG for, uh-huh. uh, for HBO to do that. Uh, and number two, I mean, who doesn't fucking love a dinosaur? Jurassic Park, sure, millions of dollars. in the- Well, I
2: think they did that uh, in Tree of Life. They did do that in real life. Mm, and had all, some dinosaurs, <laughs> and, every, and we all love that movie and remember it well. Oh, sure, 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 sure. sure, sure, sure.
1: sure yes. No. Let's let's move on to uh, to to more plot points that I like in general. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. We got what is he? Meadow and Carm. We've got Artie and Vesuvio. Look Christopher at- and the pork store.
2: Yeah. Um. So Chris kills Emil Kohler. Yeah. So that guy was not a very good actor, but I still uh, love that scene where. Uh, Christopher is basically um, subtly insulting his culture, where he's like Czech uh, Czechoslovakia. That's the type of Polak, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And he keeps calling him email the yeah. entire.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the amount of like just mispronunciations and malapropisms in the show. Uh, is fantastic, which brings us to Oh, malapropism corner, another thing that we are going to have a incredible bumper for at some point I'm uh, sure yes yes, yes, uh so the first is uh we've got right after he kills uh uh email uh he <laughs> <laughs> he and uh big pussy Bob and saro are uh trying to uh, dispose of the body. And then he, he describes the situation thusly.
2: Louis Brazzi
1: sleeps
4: with the fishes. Luca Brazzi. Luca. Whatever.
2: <laughs> so so that's one, that's like an acknowledged malapropism, sure. which is like one facet of the show. Mm-hmm. And then the other facet is the unacknowledged malapropisms, which I kind of like even better, where yeah. they kind of just do it and nobody corrects them. Yeah. And it's not
1: until later in the show that we get far more of those with uh, little Carmine. But go ahead.
4: Something I gotta confess. What are you doing? Getting my wine in position to throw in your damn
0: face.
1: You always want the drama.
0: You go ahead and confess already, please. Get it over with. I'm on Prozac.
4: Oh, oh my god.
2: I've been seeing a therapist.
3: Oh my god. I think that's great. I think
0: that's so wonderful. I think that's so gutsy. All
2: right, take it easy.
0: But I just think that's very, very wonderful.
3: Well, you think I was Hannibal Lecter before or something?
0: I, think, I just think it's great. It's like... <laughs> uh,
2: so Hannibal Lecter. Also, I think that's the scene where I first realized, like, wow, Edie Falco is just crushing this.
1: Yeah, she ends up uh, throughout the series convincing me uh, that she is maybe the greatest actress I've ever seen. And that this is the greatest television character ever made i love Carmela soprano more yeah more than anyone any one character on that show and maybe more than any character on any show ever wow yeah old well just just in, not in terms not just in terms of like the 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 depth of the character and the the emotional depth but also just in terms of like the the acting skills i mean i really i Really, have never emoted watching a TV show before this because <laughs> uh-huh. okay, it came out in 1999. All right, so as the I'm like what was I 15 at the time, 14, and so as I'm watching this series, I am also becoming more and more uh, uh, mentally mature, sure. emotionally mature, yes. and so I kind of like eventually started just. There's certain scenes in this in this uh, entire series that uh, I just with. Whenever Carmela is uh, on screen, I feel like I'm actually watching a human being, as opposed to most characters in most TV shows, you feel like you're watching an actor kind of play somebody. Right. But, uh, yeah, she's great. And also, it was uh, when I realized that I was just really into older women.
4: Sure,
3: sure.
2: Um, did you talk to her uh, for the book, Alan? Uh, no, we didn't do new
3: interviews with any of the actors. And I've, I've interviewed her a bunch, both when she was doing that and when she was under Jackie. Edie's really interesting. She's not a great interview because she's very like no nonsense mm-hmm. uh, and not super introspective or fussy about her work. She's sort of like, I showed up, I did this, I did that. And even when other people talk about her, it's like Gandolfini really struggled with the role because he internalized so much of it. Yeah. And Edie could just flip it on and off like a light switch. That is so insane. Yeah, and when and when I, when we talked to Chase about like how much feedback they got from the actors and specifically from the three leads, he said, you know, Jim would complain about stuff all the time. Lorraine would question stuff sometimes, Edie never questioned anything, she just showed up and did whatever you told her to do.
2: Yeah, that's why she's great. Um and both her and the storytelling itself, it does this thing that I feel like all great storytelling does to some extent, where She she introduces you to this character who is one part recognizable like that character is very much very much feels like a person or a type that you've seen sure but also it has like additional facets uh, Mm -hmm. that you that you haven't and so it sort of creates this very round like it's not it's not um it's not imitation like it's part imitation but then also part uh, creating a much rounder emotional arc for that character.
1: Yeah, and it's it's wild to to hear that she uh, didn't internalize a lot of this, and then also you know just could turn it on like that because usually the story is about great actors is that they're just total pieces of shit like like you you know you fucking can't hear anything about like anytime anyone tries to tell me uh about uh anytime anyone tries to tell me anything about daniel day lewis i stop them immediately because i don't i know i know i know he's bad i know (laughs) he's probably terrible not just to like work with but probably just to be near he's probably one of those guys who like you can't eat next to this dude because he's gonna pretend to eat like you know fucking abraham lincoln like i I don't. I don't want to hear about it because look at him over
2: there eating like Lincoln. Yeah,
1: <laughs> just, just, you know the way Link, Lincoln. Everyone knows how eat. yeah. Yeah. he eats. Yeah, uh, eats Lincoln logs. Yep, yep. A lot of Lincoln logs. <laughs> uh, so you know, I don't. When an actor is amazing, I just assume that on the inside they're either fully internalizing the character um, or they just have nothing at all going on inside. But it's 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 great to hear that she's. I mean, it sounds like she's humble. Right. which is nice. Yes. I mean, she no, sounds like
3: she's humbled by her experience uh, playing Carmella. She is. And she's so good that it's funny when you look at all the shows that came after that copied the Sopranos in some way, uh-huh. people on all those shows, they hate the wife character, right? They hate Eddie yeah. Draper. They hate Skyler white. They hate all of them for the most part. Nobody hated Carmella. And I think a lot of that is just Edie was so good. Yeah. that That couldn't help but sympathize with her and you couldn't kind of turn on her. Not that the other actresses were bad, but, like she, this is one of the great dramatic performances, along with what Gandolfini was doing right next to her.
2: Yeah, well, and I think part of that is that a lot of times when it's a male screenwriter, you kind of get the feeling when they write a female character where they're kind of like, You know, how like when your wife is a bitch and she's always, she's always she being, just nagging she's at just being you. a big pain in the ass, she just nags and nags, yeah. you know, it's that character, yeah. So, like, yeah. Uh, so Carmela's like. She has a little bit of hectoring in her, but it's so much more than that. Like she's definitely like a complete uh, character where she has like sort of uh, this adversarial relationship with her daughter Mm -hmm. and Tony's caught in between. But you understand completely why she has that relationship with her daughter. It's not like she's not just being dramatic. She's trying to not raise her daughter as a pain in the ass. Because, and her daughter is partially learning all the wrong lessons from her dad, who's uh, a criminal, Uh and she's trying to make the daughter, you know, be like a good person and raise her in the correct way. Right. But that ends up making her Hector.
1: Right, sure, yeah, I mean she just she plays a really natural mother character. it's like it, it feels like the type of character and the type of relationship mother daughter relationship you'd see you know in real life or on any show, yeah. all but you know with this thing hanging over them, which is that they are uh, a mafia mafioso family, uh which is uh you know one of the the at one point while um Carmela in the pilot is uh. Trying to get uh, Meadow to come with her to eat at the plaza under the picture of uh, uh, Eloise, Um, you know, there's this moment where Meadow basically uh, implies by saying nothing that, you know listen we're in we're in this mafioso family yeah and and of course, and anytime there's a silence by one of the kids uh there's always the the line after it, which is a, what you got something you want to say to me <laughs> I'm just, it's, yeah, it's great because everyone projects on the show well everyone also, projects. and
2: like kids don't tell you what is wrong with you, they kind of just they do speak that through silence,
1: yeah they're- re- and and especially uh meadow soprano, she's brilliant at that uh, as a character in the show, she knows. How to? Uh, she knows how to cut down her her entire family by almost not saying a word, or like just saying a little bit. And mm-hmm. she it, and a uh, mirrors a little bit of uh, Olivia Soprano in that sense, uh, except for she was born with like empathy and a, a soul and whatnot. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And then you're also introduced to uh, to her friend Hunter, who is going to play a part in this season, but then uh, not much after <laughs> after the fact. I think later. Uh, a few episodes later, they will do meth together, which uh, or speed, mm-hmm. uh, maybe both speed. And which uh,
2: the, and that whole storyline is sort of the classic uh, story where you want to make money and give your kids a better life, but then uh, once you do, you you sometimes notice that they've become spoiled brats right. moved away from you in some way right
1: yeah 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 you try to protect your kids and shelter them from like the realities of the life that of the job that he has and instead you turn them into uh, private school monsters <laughs> <laughs> i mean although i don't know if they specifically went to a private school in the show was that a private school yeah they were going to a private catholic school and hunter by the way was
3: played by david chase's daughter really i did yes. not know that
2: so is david chase italian
3: Yes, his real name is Ditchesare and he Anglicanized it when he became a screenwriter. And like Steve Van Zandt even told, tells the story about how when he went in to meet with him, he assumed, oh, this guy, you know, another wasp writing an Italian show. I'm going to tell him what for. And then he found out just how Italian Chase was.
2: Right. It's funny because like there's a tradition of you know Jewish actors changing their g- g- having a stage name to sound less. Jewish, but I think there's also a lot of Italians that do that, and people don't know it as well. Like, I read Gary Marshall's book Uh recently, and I had no idea that Gary Marshall was Italian for, like, the entire time I knew of him. Because he seems like the most Jewish guy in the world, but no, he's actually an Italian guy. Yeah,
1: that blows my mind.
2: Yeah, and Uh. so I think Chase falls into that category to some extent.
1: Yeah, to be honest, I just learned he was Italian just now. Yeah, and so I
2: also read up on Gandolfini who was from Jersey and his parents were Italians and they spoke Italian in the home and mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And yeah, in
1: this show kind of this show I feel like introduced at least introduced me to the kind of Italian American uh slang of Italian words. Right. Uh, and uh, so we're going to have a, uh, another bumper that it will be coming very shortly of a section called Gabba, <laughs> Gabba Vafangul, Right.
2: Um, and I actually, there was actually a, a, an interesting explainer about how that slang sort of came about on uh, Atlas Obscura. Yeah. Um and it makes a lot of sense. It's very in-depth. This is like this is like I, I I there's times I wish I'd studied linguistics instead of all the dumb art crap that I studied.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, cuz they're both <laughs> cuz both are very very
2: good degrees worth a lot of money. <laughs> well, um so this is from Atlas Obscura. Uh the stereo uh, the stereotypical Italian, it's-a-me, Mario, addition of a vowel is done for the same reason. Italian is a very fluid musical language, and Italian speakers will try to eliminate the awkwardness of going consonant to consonant. So they'll just add in a generic value, vowel sound, ah or uh, ah, between consonants to make it flow better. Mm-hmm. Um, second, a lot of the O sounds will be, as we call it in linguistics, raised, so it'll be pronounced more like ooh. Uh, got it? O equals oo. And uh. third, a lot of what we call the voiceless consonants like a K sound, will be pronounced as a voiced consonant, says Olivo Shaw. This is a tricky one to explain, but basically the difference between a voiced and a voiceless consonant can be felt if you place your fingers over your Adam's apple and say as short of a sound with that consonant as you can. A voiced consonant will cause a vibration, and a voiceless will not. So, like, (laughs) when you try to make just a G sound, it'll come out as G. But a K sound can be made without using your vocal cords at all, preventing a vibration. So K would be voiceless, and G would be voiced. Try it. It's fun. Okay, so we've got three linguistic quirks (laughs) common to most of the Southern Italian ancient languages. Now try to pronounce Capicola. The C sounds, which are really K sounds, become voice so that they turn into G. Do the same with P, since that's a voiceless consonant, and we want voiced ones, so change that to a B. The second-to-last vowel sound, an O sound, gets raised, so change that to an oo, And toss out the last syllable. It's just a vowel. Who needs it? Now try again.
3: Gabagool! Yeah.
2: So, like, when you say capicola, like, the next word uh-huh. after capicola would usually start with a vowel, so you sure. drop the vowel. Right, right, right. And uh, so. hence gabagool, and hence our segment, gabavafangool. Uh, here's a little bit of that. <laughs> what are you doing
4: here? Hey, hey Gabriela sends me down here for the gabagool. The huh? gabagool. Let's uh,
2: and then uh, and then here's Tony when he's uh, when he's mm-hmm. ranting at Melfi.
4: And then it's dysfunction this and dysfunction that and dysfunction my fungal. I had some good times.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. I don't know, how like I, I had heard that a little bit, but definitely not to the extent that I heard it on The Sopranos.
1: Yeah, no, I'd never heard uh, Gabagool. I had <laughs> never. I mean, I grew up in Los Angeles. There's uh, Italian Americans, but you know, at this point, you know, we, uh, we, I feel like uh, this generation of Italian Americans, at least in Los Angeles, aren't talking about Gabagool. Right. Uh, so
2: this is, and then this is like the 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 button paragraph or the button paragraph of that Atlas Obscura piece, uh-huh. piece which I really enjoyed. Um, if you were to go to southern Italy, you wouldn't find people saying gabagool, But some of the old quirks of the old languages survived into the accents of standard Italian used there. In Sicily or Calabria, you might indeed find someone ordering mozzarella. In their own weird way, Jersey and New York and Rhode Island and Philadelphia Italians are keeping the flame of their languages alive even better than Italian Italians. There's something both a little silly and a little wonderful about someone who doesn't even speak the language putting on an antiquated accent for a dead sub-language to order some cheese. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it does make it sound more delicious when you say it does. mozzarella. Yeah. 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 Instead of mozzarella. Well,
3: if, if you guys want to know a little secret about how the, the book sausage is made... Mm -hmm. I went out of my way to never once have to write the word Gabagool (laughs) at any point in it. Because to this day, 20 years after I first wrote about this show, I cannot fucking spell it.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's because it's not a real word. <laughs> so you kind of just spell it however you want to. Yeah, when I was when I was looking for uh,
1: where in the script uh, – because I, I wanted to do a count. How many gabaguls do we have in this? How many vafungools do we have in this? And uh, yeah, they just spell it capicola instead, mm-hmm. which is
2: unfortunate. I definitely remember being chastised by family uh, not to say like ricotta or mozzarella like, oh, you want to sell like a fucking hillbilly you say it like that interesting and so it is easier to say uh ah, or yeah, like yeah. uh you know mozzarella i love how uh, you have to shrug when you do it and, yeah. then, and then put your hands up
1: like, ah, yeah hey
2: what, what do you want to give us
1: here's a question why do they still call it why 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 wouldn't it just be zeet why is it zd you ever think about yeah. that
2: yeah yeah see i, just... I think the e is plural no oh is it yeah, I think so. That makes a lot of sense. I think I don't know. I actually. Well, you're don't the speak res- You're the I resident Italian. It. I don't
1: speak an it. Italian. You're gonna to have to learn yeah. if you want to do a show about The Sopranos. Sure. Um, yeah. So, where do we? How do we want to? Uh, how do we want to end this show? <laughs> what? The eternal question. The eternal question. Um,
2: I'll, I'll simply say that, like from start to finish, mm-hmm. the show. Like I don't really like. Like it was pretty much good and held up basically from. Opening credits to end credits, and I was shocked at uh, how well it held up.
1: Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, it also it, it it's clearly you know one of the better pilots uh, of a TV show that's ever ever been made. So it's like talking about this show is an interesting thing because the only way you can uh, really it's everything is relative to how good The Sopranos is. Yeah. So whenever when I say you know like something like uh, oh James Gandolfini you know his accent was uh, well, he was still figuring it out you know during the course of the show it's not a put down of the show no. it's just saying uh, you know that for this show that was uh, you know that was a little weird.
2: I mean the first ep- the first season of any show the characters right. haven't quite. Nailed there, that uh, That character yet Sure of, the time. of course We're still course. finding it a little yeah. Like Homer Simpson Homer Simpson is a perfect example you know, the same Yeah um, So yeah So I, basically We started this And I expected it to be uh, Sort of like doing homework Sure And then instantly it wasn't I was just enjoying it Yeah no
1: as it turns out It's a TV show So right, it's right. very entertaining <laughs> yeah, yeah. And fun to watch uh, And uh, in terms of uh, HBO uh, and, a, and a boob count there's plenty of boobs in this show. Sure, Lots of boobs. Yeah. you know that was the original reason I watched the show when I was a kid. I was mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, there's titties on this show. And then as I watched it, I was like, this show is so much more than titties. <laughs> and I, I think did
2: they say anything about that, Alan? Because it seemed like uh, that era of late night cable had to have a certain amount of nudity just to compete with uh, Skinemax and HBO Real Sex.
3: I don't think we specifically talked about that. Although he, although he did cop to like sometimes. There's sort of this border between the show judging these guys for having this world and the show kind of leering at the women. It doesn't happen often, but it happens often enough that you kind of notice, especially when you go back and you watch it again a second, a third, a fourth time.
4: Yeah.
1: Right. I mean, it does start out with the shot of Tony in a waiting room, in Melfi's waiting room, just looking at a statue's tits. (laughs) <laughs> that right. is yeah yes. that's true that's the opening shot of the show so you know it's going to be a show loosely about tits but yeah. also about you know family well and,
2: and then i think that also ties back into port noise complaint is the yeah. uh, the sort of the idea that when you go to do a psychotherapy it's very tied in with your reptilian uh, sexuality exactly kind of thing. Yeah.
1: yeah 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 or the id and whatnot absolutely yeah
2: yeah um
1: all in all, I would say I give this uh five stars out of five stars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, um no this uh yeah, that is the the pilot, and uh we are going to uh go through every episode one by one by one uh each time with a uh with a new guest uh you know uh talking about what we liked about the episode, what we disliked and uh and yeah uh, Alan once again, first of all, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh and what my pleasure, guys. Uh what is the name of the book? The the Sopranos? It's the the
3: Sopranos Sessions. Uh It has recaps of every single episode. So you can can watch every episode, you can read our recap, and then you can listen to this podcast. (laughs) It all comes together. And then we did this new series of interviews with David Chase, covering every season, going into all sorts of weird Sopranos trivia from Soup to Nuts. He talked shockingly a lot about the final scene and his intentions behind it. And it also has a bunch of archival material that Matt and I wrote when we were writing about the show as it aired for the Star-Ledger back in the day. So it is a big, you know, doorstop-sized tribute to one of the greatest and most important shows ever made.
2: And if you read that and listen to this, you will know more about The Sopranos than anyone that you know.
1: I'd like to think that if you read that and listen to this, you'll actually learn a little bit less by listening to this podcast, because mostly I'm just going to talk about how many tits there were in the episode (laughs) and how many times they said gobble cool, because that's what this show's about. Alan, again, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure, guys. All right. And uh, thank you out there for listening. How would we end the show? You, what, would, what would you say? A line. Like we have, uh, for the broadcast, we have a line. What's our line for this one? Hey, forget about it. Forget it. Ab- well, no, then we're telling people to forget about the show. Oh, right, yeah. Remember uh, about uh, it. What if we just play Don't Stop Believing <laughs> and then <laughs> cut it? Okay. All right. We're going to do that. Good night, everyone.
4: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.